Hey, this is Double J, Jeff Jarrett, WWE Hall of Famer, and you're listening to the My One Two Three Cents Podcast. It's my personality to be jittery. It's part of my charm. Wrestling fans, are you ready? It's time for my one, two, three cents of the podcast on the Jittery Monkey Podcasting Network. Give me the hell yeah! Now, here's your host. The man is also a very long, dear, personal friend of mine. Does the guy have a name? Yes, he has a name. Kevin Huntsberger. Woo! If you've dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler, it's time to make that dream a reality. The Stride Pro Wrestling Training Academy is now enrolling new students. Classes meet on Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Be sure to check out the Stride Pro Wrestling Facebook page at facebook.com slash stridepro-wrestling and get enrolled now. Hey friends, welcome to episode 435, I'm sorry, 436 of the My One Two Three Cents podcast. I am your host this week, Kevin Huntsperger, and I'm feeling very nostalgic, and I'll, I'll get to all that in just a minute uh, with the review of what I'm going to be talking about, uh, which if you've already looked at the title of the show, it is WrestleMania 4, which happened 35 years ago uh, on March 27th, 1988. So if you are listening to this as the show drops on March 27th, 2023, 35 years later, like I said, I'll get to that. Just a minute, I want to give you all a life update. Uh, I am still planning to head to Los Angeles this Thursday for WrestleMania. Chad and I will be going to uh, Wrestling Pro Wrestling on Thursday night when I arrive in LA. Probably be there for a few hours and then have to head to that show. Uh, Friday, I think we have pretty much open for sightseeing and all that good stuff. Saturday is day one of WrestleMania, which we've learned that Austin Theory will defend against John Cena, the United States title, uh, to open that show, that night one of WrestleMania, and night two of WrestleMania then on Sunday. So, be a fun-filled, action-packed few days of wrestling action. The bromance, once again, revived one last time, the tenth time, and I'm looking forward to it. And... Uh, I want to do uh, a quick, uh, again, life update. Um, my mom, who is uh, you know a big supporter of the My One Two Three Cents brand, even though she does not like wrestling, she has made many of the WrestleMania costumes that I have worn. You know, taking old suit jackets and repurposing them from the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase uh, to classy Freddie Blassie to Bobby the Brain Heenan, a jacket that I still wear to this day when I do. Uh, some Stride Pro Wrestling shows. I haven't worn it lately, but I, I do still wear it from time to time. She is uh, recovering uh, in the hospital. Uh, spent part of the day up in St. Louis with her today uh, as I record this on Sunday evening. Um, and if you, uh, you know, uh, want to send some prayers, some thoughts, some good vibes, whatever, whatever you've got, positive energy, whatever your belief system is, uh, my family would certainly appreciate it. Uh, she is definitely 
doing better than she was on Friday when she ended up in the hospital with uh, some breathing issues um, and has since gotten better, but we're still not sure exactly what is the cause and what's going on. So as uh, doctors do more tests and and look into what's bothering her, uh, please uh, keep my family in your thoughts uh, and prayers. If you would be so inclined, I would greatly appreciate it. I uh, want to also mention Stride Pro Wrestling coming up again on Saturday, April 8th. That's the week after WrestleMania. So uh, that will be coming up in Carterville, Illinois at the Stride Building. So be sure to check out Stride Pro Wrestling on social media and uh, keep up to date with everything that is going on there. WWF, what the world is watching. Big, big event for me and my fandom as a as a 15-year-old, a freshman in high school. And uh, it was uh, quite a day. It was, I don't remember exactly how it all panned out, but I am actually looking as I record this podcast at my ticket stub from going to watch WrestleMania 4 at the Kiel Center, the Kiel Auditorium at the time. Sunday, March 27th, 1988, 3 p.m., I don't remember it starting that early, but that's what the ticket stub says. $15 for this, and this was obviously watching it on closed-circuit television. And so my dad got tickets for me and him, and uh, one of his co-workers joined us along with her brother, and uh, we made a day of it. And I remember getting there to the keel, and I'm not exactly sure what to expect, but basically we sat on the floor, not literally on the floor, but we were on the base because we had been to the keel for wrestling shows in the past. And we always sat up kind of in the balcony area, but we were on the ground level and they had a giant screen. And then that's how they then played the closed circuit. And again, I don't remember it being that early in the day, but obviously it was because that's what the ticket says. Um, but I, in addition to my ticket stub. I also have the program that I bought that day and it's, it's seen better days. It's crumpled and, and whatnot. But uh, on the cover is Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant in a bear hug. Uh, I'm guessing this is a photo from WrestleMania three. Uh, and then there's a, a bunch of lightning bolts behind them with the WrestleMania four logo and, and WrestleMania four, I think gets a bad rap from time to time. And, and maybe because of the tournament concept, maybe because it's the first of, of the, WrestleMania era of, of WWE that we didn't see Hogan wrestling in the main event. Of course, he was involved in it, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But, um, you know, I look back on this show with, with fond memories, mostly probably in large part because of the fact that I did watch it on closed circuit. It was kind of a unique experience for me and my dad and, and, and his work friends. But, you know, 
the first WrestleMania, I've talked about it uh, before plenty of times. You know, we watched it at a family friend's house on closed circuit television that uh, that evening. I guess we probably ended up watching the replay because I know we were there and it was dark. And I know WrestleMania was held in the afternoon. Um, WrestleMania 2, we went to some friend's house and recorded it. I watched it and recorded it at the same time. That was on a Monday night and uh, recorded it on a Betamax tape, which... Who knows, that Betamax tape may exist somewhere in my parents' attic. I don't know, but uh, that's how long ago that was in 1986. Now, WrestleMania three was unique because obviously that was the one that everybody wanted to see but did not have the friend pay-per-view hookup at that point. Um, and we ended up, or I ended up, I remember sitting at the dinner table and I had the radio on and I had my earphones on and the DJ had made mention of WrestleMania and that they were going to talk about it. And he had talked about it later that night then that Hulk Hogan had body slammed and defeated Andre the Giant. I could not believe it. I could not wait. And I don't remember by then I was in eighth grade. I don't remember if somebody at school had it on tape and and gave it or if I ended up renting that uh, when it came out shortly after. But I remember obviously being stoked. And then, of course, WrestleMania 4 is what we're here to talk about this week. Um, The buildup for that really, um, really, really taking off with, you know, and I I think, you know, WrestleMania 4, WrestleMania 5, the mega powers exploding at WrestleMania 5, WrestleMania 4, the mega powers really kind of cementing it with Savage winning, Macho Man Randy Savage winning the WWF heavyweight title um, at the time. But I would rewind even more because I I talk about, you know, on a previous episode, the great storytelling of the bloodline and the Daniel Bryan yes movement. But man, the the mega powers overall story to me really begins at that Saturday night's main event in October of 1987 when Hogan comes out and saves Randy Savage from the attack by the honky tonk man and the Hart Foundation. You know, Elizabeth drags him out. We've all seen it. We remember the, the the look on Hogan's face. And I remember as a fan, you know, as a teenage fan, being completely mind-blown by this. I did not see the Randy Savage face turn coming as full circle as it did with, with him joining forces with Hulk Hogan. Um, you know, and, and, and Savage and Hogan really had been going at each other since Savage arrived in the WWF in, in 1985. So now, two years later... Their allies, and then really, as we go to WrestleMania, they're friends. I mean, I, I think that we can say that the Mega Powers was was formed and and really growing as a unit. Now, I mentioned this uh, program, and I'm going to kind of flip through it and just kind of talk about some of the stuff in it. Uh, for those of you that don't remember or didn't watch or or whatever, the celebrities at WrestleMania, you know, WrestleMania has always, you know, through the years has has grown on that reputation of having that celebrity involvement. And this year was no different. Robin Leach, you know, of course, WrestleMania 4, for the first time, held at Trump Tower uh, in uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey, that was held there again the next year, the first time that it was held at the same venue back-to-back years. Um Gladys Knight was there who sang uh, America the Beautiful. And I'm going to throw my glasses on here so I can read this a little bit better. Uh, Robin Leach 
who was host of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. He was the presenter for the WWF Championship because, again, the title is is held up and we have this tournament set up to go on. Um, guest timekeeper was Vanna White, who is still to this day uh, on Wheel of Fortune. And, and in the 80s, you know, there was no celebrity hotter and more more uh, in in uh, everybody's forefront than Vanna White. Uh, everybody loved Vanna White. And then Bob Euchre, who is now in the WWE Hall of Fame, he was guest announcer and he really, he was part of WrestleMania 3 as well. But WrestleMania 4, I think he kind of really, you know, he was on Mr. Belvedere, but of course was known as Mr. Baseball and, and playing uh, baseball for many years, but and announcing and his enro- his involvement with Andre the Giant, you know, we see that clip still floating around uh, all over as well. Uh, the Intercontinental title was on the line. The Honky Tonk Man beating um, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat a year earlier, or almost a year earlier, for the IC belt. Of course, WrestleMania three it was Savage and, and Ricky Steamboat going at it. But this year, it is the Honky Tonk Man defending against Brutus Beefcake. Um, I was a Honky Tonk Man fan. Uh, from from almost the get-go with him. So I was excited to see that he did not end up losing the championship to Beefcake. And I know Beefcake got his hands on Jimmy Hart and gave him a haircut um, at the end of that match. And I think Beefcake won that one by disqualification. Six-man tag team action saw the Islanders and Bobby the Brain Heenan teaming up against the British Bulldogs and Coco Beware. And this one all started started with the Islanders stealing Matilda, the beloved Bulldog of the British Bulldogs. Uh, They bring Coco Beware into the mix. This is the second WrestleMania in a row that the Bulldogs are involved in six-man tag team action. They lost the year earlier to the Hart Foundation and Dangerous Danny Davis, but their partner that year was Tito Santana. And this year, they came up on the losing end to Bobby Heenan, which, hilarious as all get out. Um, His first WrestleMania as a wrestler, he comes out dressed in the old-style dog catcher uniform. And I always loved Bobby Heenan, Um, even... You know, when you were supposed to boo him and, and, and hate him, I, I there was something about Bobby Heenan that just was was magic uh, for me. So uh, while I loved the British Bulldogs, they were my favorite tag team, I wasn't terribly disappointed in, in that the fact that Coco Beware was the one that ended up taking the pin, uh, even through some nefarious means by the Islanders and Bobby Heenan. Um, you know, I would have liked to have seen uh, my beloved Bulldogs win, but... Uh, you know, they, they end up getting Matilda back and, and get the comeuppance with, uh, with the dog attacking Bobby Heenan in his um, wonderful costume that he was wearing. And again, I'm not going in the, I'm not on Wikipedia reading results or anything. I'm just going from memory and flipping through this program. So I'm going by the order of the program and not by the order of, of the matches because there were obviously other matches that, that went on. But I am going to flip because in the very middle of all of this is the tournament itself. I'm going to flip and come back to that. Uh, the tag team titles were on the line. Strike Force, Rick Martel and Tito Santana defending against Axe and Smash of Demolition. They, of course, had the, the evil Mr. Fuji in their corner. And I pretty much knew where this one was headed and, and even thought, you know, that they were going to somehow incorporate Mr. Fuji's cane into this match, which they did. Um, I believe it was Rick Martel had uh, Axe 
I'm sorry, I think he had smash in the Boston Crab. Axe hits him, or smash hits him. One of the other demolition guys hits Rick Martel with the cane. Uh, Tito's distracted by Mr. Fuji, and the referee is dealing with that. And then we have new tag team champions, which Demolition goes on to become, uh, at that time at least, and for many, 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 many years, the longest reigning tag team champions. Now I believe the Usos hold that honor, and before them it was uh, the New Day. But uh, Demolition, you know, I loved Demolition as well. Now, not so much here when they came in as as heels, but when they did turn later this year in 1988 against Mr. Fuji, um, I really liked the team of Demolition. Now, we had the Battle of the Behemoths, and that's how it's phrased here in the, in the program. The Ultimate Warrior taking on Hercules. And this was probably, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this was probably Warrior's first real big moment to shine, if you will. Uh, he was not a part, you know, he came to the WWF, I believe in late summer of 87, maybe early fall of that year, was not a part of the Survivor Series. And again, this is back in the day when, you know, we only had WrestleMania and then Survivor Series was first introduced. So really only two events uh, a year at this point. Um, we didn't have weekly Raws. Of course, we had the syndicated shows. Um, but Warrior really hadn't hadn't done a whole lot. Now, of course, uh, earlier this year, we had the very first Royal Rumble, which was held on the USA Network. Uh, and Warrior was in that, but did not, you know, did not, was not the character that he was obviously going to become. Um, and so the, the, the match with Hercules, you know, like him, hate him. You know, Hercules was was a contender at one point and, and came in and, uh, you know, made some noise. But, I, I, you know, I didn't think that he was going to beat the Ultimate Warrior here. And, of course, Warrior ends up beating him. And I believe he swung that chain around pretty wildly at, at one point as well. Now, I believe if memory serves me correctly, WrestleMania opened. And I might be wrong. But I, I'm almost positive the first match was the 20-man over-the-top rope battle royal. <clears throat> and as I'm looking again at the program, uh, we have the Junkyard Dog, we have George the Animal Steel, the Bolsheviks, the Young Stallions, Ken Patera, Hillbilly Jim, Sam Houston, the Hart Foundation, Bad News Brown, Samoan Sika, Dangerous Danny Davis, the King Harley Race, the Outlaw Ron Bass, the Killer Bees, the Fabulous Rougeos, Although at that time, I think they were just the Rougeau brothers. They were not heels yet. Um, so that's your 20-man your field. You have a couple of tag teams in there in the Bolsheviks, the Hearts, uh, the Rougeaus, and the Bees, and then some established superstars, and, and then the newcomer, oh, and the Young Stallings. Uh, and then you have the uh, established, or the newcomer, and Bad News Brown. Um, this was another way, of course, to get everybody on, on the card. Uh, we saw it happen at WrestleMania 2 with the Battle Royal, with the uh, football players, the NFL stars, and the WWF superstars. Um, this one comes down to the final three of being the Junkyard Dog, Brett the Hitman Hart, and Bad News Brown. I was really hoping with uh, the Dog to win this one. Uh, because at this time, Bret Hart and Bad News Brown were both heels. And typically, uh, we see this formula still work to this day. Usually, when it's the final three and one of them's a babyface, they find some way to make that comeback and win. But this was all to set up Bret Hart to become babyface. 
Uh, so he and he being Bret Hart and Bad News Brown celebrate in the middle of the ring uh, after they dump the dog out. And uh, Bad News turns on Hart, essentially, uh, giving him the ghetto blaster and sending him over the top rope. And then he's presented, Bad News Brown is presented with this giant trophy and Bret Hart destroys it. And that was one of those face turns that, you know, you you wondered, is, is Brett going to leave the anvil? But they both end up turning face. And they team, they continue to team, but they put Brett, they tested the waters, I think, for Brett to have a singles run. And obviously, uh, they reunite and end up winning the tag team titles again in, in 1990. And then once they lose them in 91 to the Nasty Boys, then we see kind of the split and Brett goes on that phenomenal singles run that he had, um, winning the WWF championship multiple times. And speaking of the championship, the world championship belt, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. We get a recap of, of course, the main event from February. 33 million people watched. I talked about that show uh, a few weeks ago here on the podcast. It's in the archives, if you will. And so we get a 14-man tournament. Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant will receive a bye because they are the two recognized former champions, even though I have made an argument for Ted DiBiase to be in that category as well. And I've explained that and laid that case out. Don't think I have to do that again. But they, Hogan and Andre, receiving byes in round one. So they're going to face off against each other in round two. So this will be the third match in three or in, in a year's time that we've seen Hogan and Andre in singles action. You know, Hogan beats Andre at WrestleMania three. Not a singles match, but Andre the Giants team beats Hulk Hogan's team at Survivor Series. Hogan was counted out. Then we get to the main event where Andre the Giant, air quote, beats on uh, beats Hulk Hogan. It went down as a win for Andre. Uh, so now WrestleMania three, and of course that match ends up ending in a double disqualification. But we also get Hacksaw Jim Duggan facing off against Ted DiBiase in round one. Don Morocco takes on Dino Bravo. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, which I believe this was his last match until he came back in in 1991, last match in the WWF, uh, takes on Greg the Hammer Valentine. Randy Savage battles the natural Butch Reed. Bam Bam Bigelow, who was my pick to win it all, takes on the one-man gang. And Jake the Snake Roberts battles ravishing Rick Rude. Now, you had 14 guys here, and any one of these men could have become WWF champions. So, technically speaking, when we look back in history, and, you know, a lot of times, especially in the, uh, from, you know, WrestleMania 1 up until about WrestleMania, I'm going to say, I'm just guessing here, probably at least 12, maybe, maybe 14. Um, you know, it was always a baby face champion and, and we didn't see the singles or we didn't see the, the faces getting a lot of championship matches. Now, obviously the ultimate warrior did, uh, in 1990, but this was, you know, Hulk Hogan, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Don Morocco, Ricky Steamboat, Randy Savage, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Jake the Snake Roberts all getting an opportunity as babyfaces to become the heavyweight champion. But that also means that Andre the Giant, Ted DiBiase, Dino Bravo, Greg Valentine, Butch Reed, One Man Gang, and Rick Rude also get that same opportunity. And tournaments, uh, you know, they're not always great. I, I think that the uh, 
the the one at Survivor Series 1998, probably still my favorite tournament that was set up. Um, but this one was good, I thought. You know, and, and looking back on it now, 35 years later, uh, matches were quick, and obviously we had to get through a lot of matches. Uh, not only these matches, but, you know, you had a 20-man battle royal. We had the Warrior Hercules match. We had the Intercontinental Championship match, and we had the tag team title match. So these matches, some of them very, very quick. Uh, DiBiase beats Duggan in round one. Don Morocco beats Dino Bravo. Valentine beats Ricky Steamboat, which to me was a huge upset. Uh, Randy Savage beats Butch Reed. Um, One Man Gang wins against Bam Bam Bigelow via countout, which again, devastated that Bam Bam was eliminated. And Jake the Snake Roberts and Rick Rude go to a 15-minute time limit draw. So that leads uh, us to the Hogan-Andre match ending in a double disqualification. And then we get Ted DiBiase beating Don Morocco, who was known as The Rock back then. Uh, Randy Savage beats Greg the Hammer Valentine. And the one-man gang, because of that draw in round one between Snake and Rude, uh, goes on to the next round with no one to wrestle. Because of the double disqualification, DiBiase finds himself going into the finals automatically. Savage has to beat the one-man gang. And then, of course, the end of it all, the Macho Man, Randy Savage, with the help of Hulk Hogan, because, of course, Andre the Giant was out there, uh, defeats Ted DiBiase to become the World Wrestling Federation champion. And, again, great storytelling from start to finish with this... uh, this whole story with Hogan and Savage and, and the mega powers and the eventual breakup of them. And, and this all was done, uh, I believe the story goes, that this was all done as, as Hogan was preparing to leave to film the movie No Holds Barred. And, and so they needed someone to be in that spotlight, so to speak. And, and really, arguably, Savage was the hottest babyface right behind Hulk Hogan in this era. And so it made sense. You know, I don't think Warrior was was ready yet. He wasn't primed, and we hadn't seen much of him, even though he was, a couple years later, that man who was anointed to try to take that torch. Uh, But I think the thing that really kind of, you know, we all ended up seeing a year later is that that Hogan was really, or I'm sorry, that Savage was really there to kind of hold the spot open for Hogan. Um, it's interesting to me, and again, with the benefit of hindsight, you can, you can say these things. Looking at the, the cover of this, this program, you know, it's Hogan and, and Andre on the cover. And I think, obviously you don't want to give it away by putting Savage alone on the cover, but I maybe would have put all of the... 14 contenders, you know, had the, the WWF championship belt in the middle and then all 14 guys kind of circling around it, um, you know, who will win or, or something along those lines. Um, you know, as, as a kid, as a teenager, I'm watching this. I'm, you know, I am a Hulkamaniac still. I, you know, would have been cool with Hogan winning it. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow was my first choice. Savage probably would have been my third choice, uh, you know, in hindsight looking at it. Even though I was becoming a, fa- a bigger fan of Savage as he uh, was was coming up through everything uh, with the Honky Tonk Man feud and, and whatnot. But, you know, overall, I, people have rated it different things, WrestleMania 4 that is. And I, I still 
Uh, again, maybe it's the rose-colored glasses, it's the nostalgia, it's the time spent uh, with my dad and just thinking back and remembering it from, from that perspective. But I liked this WrestleMania. You know, I didn't hate it. I, there hasn't been a WrestleMania that I've hated. Um, obviously liked some more than others. And of the first four, I would pro- this would probably rank third. You know, WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania, WrestleMania 4, and WrestleMania 2 would be my ranking of, of those in, in order. Um, but, I, you know, I think that this was a real opportunity to start something over. And, and But I don't know that the fans were ready for that yet. They still wanted that Hulkamania. And I feel like that also helped feed into the Hogan-Savage storyline of the lust in your eyes and the jealousy between Hogan and Savage and, and kind of what, what helped to make it work. Whether there was ever a plan to go really long-term with Savage as being the man, I don't think that was ever on the table to do that. Um, but Hogan was still, you know, printing money for for this company. And Savage did a good job, but I still don't feel like he was as ever as big as, as Hulk Hogan. And I don't think anybody would argue that. Some may have liked Savage better. I you know, at the end of the day, when I look back in in retrospect, I, I think I, I was a bigger Savage fan than Hogan fan overall, you know, ultimately from start to finish. Um, but I think, you know, Hogan was that guy. And, and I say this as, as someone who, when we got there and I got my program, I also bought a Hulkamania shirt. Like one of the actual shirts that he not he literally didn't wear this one, but it's the same shirt with, you know, the muscle shirt that rips away, that tears away, that has the rips in the back. And I still have that shirt. Um, and I've worn it in cosplay situations, but in hindsight now, I, I kind of wish I would have spent my money on a, uh, wrestling shirt that I could wear, uh, in public as a teenager. Uh, and thinking back in, in hindsight, the purple, Macho Man Randy Savage shirt, I think is what I would have gotten. Um, but I, I like having the Hulkamania shirt. It, it is a nice, fun nostalgia pop and, and a, a memory. Um, and, you know, use it in cosplay situations. And I've done it a couple of times. So actually probably three or four times. So uh, it is what it is. It was, uh, it was a fun time to be a wrestling fan. The 80s, of course, I always remember very fondly and nostalgically. And that's really kind of what this podcast is all about is the nostalgia side of things. And I think next week when Chad and I talk and are reviewing WrestleMania 39, there'll be some nostalgia talk. And, and I'll be curious to see what happens. Will Roman Reigns beat Cody Rhodes? Um, I think Chad and I have differing thoughts on Cody Rhodes as far as being the contender. We've talked about that here on the podcast as well. So uh, it'll be it'll be fun to sort it all out next week and, and recap WrestleMania 29, I'm sorry, WrestleMania 39, as we put a bow on WrestleMania 4 for this week. Friends, thank you as always for listening. Thank you for your support, your friendship. Uh, It means the world to me, and uh, I really, truly do appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week, and we will talk again next week after WrestleMania 39. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.